afternoon, good evening, wherever you're coming from. I see that I am going live and I'm just going to check to make sure I think you guys can hear me. Okay. So let us know where you're hailing from, where you're coming in from. Um, and I'm going to keep an eye on the chat box here, but I am so excited to see all of you that are able to make it here live. And then those of you who um, maybe watch this later. Hello. You're welcome to comment later as well. Um, today we are in for a treat, but first I'll introduce myself. I'm Kaylee Dunn. I'm the host of this Humans Navigating Betrayal Facebook group and founder, and this group has been around for almost four years now about to be four years, which is pretty crazy. I've been a betrayal trauma, sexual addiction, or sexual compulsivity therapist for over a decade um, here in Arizona and in Utah. And I'm also a betrayal navigation coach, walking people who've experienced betrayal from hurt to healing um, and becoming the heroine or the hero of their own story. So... Today, we're going to be talking about communication after betrayal. And sometimes that can feel like a little bit of a small issue, like, or even a maybe triggering concept, because so often we're told that relationship issues come down to communication. Um, or, you know, if you were communicating better in the relationship, then they wouldn't do this. And it can be weaponized pretty much all mental health concepts have been weaponized against betrayal victims. Um, but, uh, and, so, and so it can feel a little bit triggering or a little bit, um, I don't know, difficult to, to deal with that. But I want to give some caveats uh, before we get going. So I'm going to share my screen. Give me one second. as we jump into this topic. So the title of today's um, presentation is Cool, Calm, and Communicating. How to say what you need to say without getting flustered or losing your shit. Because so often when we're trying to communicate with the person who betrayed us, we find ourselves feeling pretty stuck. Um, before I jump in, I do want to remind you that if you stick around to the end, um, I'd be happy to answer your questions live in the Facebook group. So if you have questions related to communication, related to betrayal, related to navigating betrayal or any stuck points, I'll have about 10 minutes for those kind of a first come first serve basis there. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, even though communication issues like is not it, right? That's not the only answer here. It is something that we can feel really stuck on over and over and over again while we're trying to figure out this relationship, if you're still in the relationship with the person who betrayed you, or maybe you have left that relationship and you're trying to connect with someone new, or um, maybe even communicating with other people who know about the betrayal, like your parents or family members or friends. Um, communication can, and knowing how to do it and, and when to do it and where to do it and all those sorts of things 
uh, can make this situation a little less bumpy, the roller coaster a little less um, difficult if you can feel confident in your communication. So I'm going to give you some pretty basic information, but also couch it in this lens of betrayal. You may know some of this information uh, already, but hopefully with the lens of betrayal, it'll still it, it will you know open your eyes a little bit to to that. But the first thing I want to start with is this caveat that there is no wrong way to heal. And this means that especially at the beginning, but even even into your journey, years and years, you are not going to communicate, quote, perfectly, right? There are going to be hundreds, if not thousands of moments where you feel like you said the wrong thing or you said it in the, quote, wrong way. Um, and you might even tend to blame yourself. Like, I don't communicate correctly. Maybe you have learned a little bit about communication and what types of communication are more beneficial to healthy relationships. And you might say to yourself, like, it's because I'm communicating poorly that this relationship is suffering or my partner is still betraying me or, you know, they continue to go back to the affair partner or pornography or whatever they're doing. Um, and so this is the really big caveat that I bring to every conversation I have with my coaching clients, with my therapy clients and, um, and with you today. And that's that there's no wrong way to heal because you didn't ask for this situation. You didn't say, I want to get betrayed. And then I'm going to, you know, learn how to navigate that and, and get through it successfully. And that's my plan in life. Like, no, you didn't ask for this. There's nothing that you did that caused a person to betray you. And if you are struggling in the way that you communicate, and as we talk today, if you're like, wow, yeah, I am not communicating like that, that she's talking about, you are not to blame for continued betrayal or ongoing betrayal. Okay. We're just going to like lay that truth bomb down as the foundation that while these skills and tools that I teach, um, can be very beneficial and can be really empowering actually if we show up to the conversation with like i'm gonna learn this so that he stops betraying me or so that i can heal this relationship um you know even if he chooses to keep betraying right uh, then we're gonna continue to get hurt and so starting with there's no wrong way to heal it's okay to be wrong it's okay to make mistakes um the ball is in your court because you didn't, you didn't start the fire, right? I remember a friend telling me, uh, I kind of approached her in, in conversation and said, you know, I'm just, I'm just sabotaging was the word that I was using. Cause a lot of people use that word. I'm just sabotaging this relationship, um, over and over again, because I'm communicating so poorly. And she said, well, you know, you might be adding gasoline, or, or tinder, dry tinder to the fire, but you didn't start the fire. And I thought that was a beautiful analogy because, you know, that's just, it's just true. Um, and it's not all on you to fix. It's not all on you to learn. And so two things are true. It's not your job to fix it all. There's no wrong way to heal. If you make mistakes, it's not your fault if they continue to betray you. And learning these skills and tools are going to help you in all parts of your life, right? They're going to, they're going to help you with your, like I mentioned before, with your family, with your friends, with at work, um, finding ways to communicate that, uh, helps you stay regulated and, or in other words, helps you not 
get out of your window of tolerance or not lose your shit, not become super flustered, not shut down and be frozen and learning ways to communicate with people who are dysregulated um, can be very, very beneficial. So let's just jump into it. But I want to start with this concept of the inner survivor. So all of us in our God-given, universe-given bodies are given an inner survivor. Um, I see my inner survivor as kind of this warrior, but you may see yours as just a tired, exhausted part. Um, You may feel like yours is a frozen part. There are different ways that our inner survivor manifests. And again, I like to think about our inner survivor as manifesting in ways that... um, in ways that support us, support our survival. That is, sorry, I'm making sure I'm going to get on the group and make sure you guys can hear me. Um, That is kind of the point. The point is that we're built to survive, to stay alive. Um, I also like to think of our inner survivor as kind of a cave woman, like kind of a or if you have ancestors who were who were pilgrims or um, indigenous people, back, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, um, where those ancestors came from, what they were doing and how they were surviving, their blood is running in your veins, their nervous system, their nerves are running in your, in, in your body. And we have this inner survivor that has a whole bunch of superpowers, these powers that provide safety. So we have a fight, a flight, a freeze, a friend, which includes both fawn, which can be kind of a passive, I'll give you what you want, right? So the lion comes and you feed it some meats, right? Here you go, have some meat. Um, Or fix, which is like, I'm going to get really creative and find a way to fix this, fix, you know, use my cognition to fix this problem. Um, and, And flop, so a collapse. And we have these different types of survival instincts, if you will. And they're normal and they're natural. And some of them in modern times get a worse rap than others. So for example, I am more of a fire child. I have more of a fire instinct. So I'm more likely to to get into my big, you know, my big girl voice and and be loud and yelling and stern when I'm very dysregulated. Um And that's often not seen as proper and all these sorts of things. And there's a whole history as to why, but we won't get into that. And then there's also, um, you know, wind. So that's that avoidant. Um, And some people will say, oh, they abandon people, right? There's this freeze or ice. that's a kind of a frozen, um, disconnected, numb place. Um, And again, then there's the code of the the water type, which is what people call codependent. They're self-sabotaging. Why are you going back and back and back to this person? It's a survival mechanism. That makes complete sense when we think about it evolutionarily. And then there's the full collapse, sometimes into a depression or, or sleep or numbing out in different ways. And so there's all these different ways that we have learned to survive difficult circumstances. And that is not a bad part, but you're going to hear from many helpers that it is. Oh, you're codependent. Oh, you're self-sabotaging. Oh, you're too aggressive. You're contradependent, uh, whatever those labels are, they might slap on you. And you might be like, well, I like that term codependent. It helps me understand myself. That's fine. I'm not going to try to take that away from you if you want to use that term, but be sure not to be um, using it kind of as a weapon against yourself or like a shame tool. Cause ultimately these are important parts. And when we communicate, our nervous system is at play and our inner survivor is at play. And so when we get triggered, is when most often we our inner survivor kind of takes the wheel of your vehicle, your inner body, and is just takes over. 
what happens, right, is that our amygdala is active, our emotion centers are active, our cognitions can be a little more shut down. And we can get into what I call is the vortex. And lots of people get into the vortex and live here for the rest of their life, whether they're in the relationship with the betraying partner or not. The vortex is where we get triggered and then we get really we get into our fire self or into our wind or ice or water or collapse, all of the above. We might do a combination um, based on our life experiences and what has taught us that helps and works based on what we've watched from our parents and what we've watched in media. And we'll focus on the betraying partner, the person who betrayed you at the beginning, especially not everyone, but the beginning. we also, and, and so that looks like, right? Like interrogating, asking questions, um, look, snooping on their phone. I'm not shaming any of this. This is all survivor behavior. Okay. Survival behavior. Um, we can go into like avoidance, go years and years. Like, I just won't think about it. I won't talk about it. I just will avoid. I'm not going to, you know, trying to avoid triggers. Um, we can be just totally numb. We can be trying to look up therapists for them, look up books for them, look up, um, I, I'm going to help them. Or we can be like, I'll give you sex. I'll send you pictures of myself. I'll whatever you need. Right. Or we can be in a full collapse. Who cares? Like all guys are this way anyway, or all girls are this way anyway. It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to try to connect with anyone. I do not want to go into a state of flow or connection. I'm just going to be collapsed. And if that doesn't work and the part, the betrayer keeps betraying or the relationship collapses, um, or whatever, and it doesn't quote work, we don't feel like we're surviving. We don't feel like we're safe. We don't feel like we're in a secure relationship. What we'll often do is go into the this, these same experiences, but like towards ourself. So then I'm saying, oh, I'm so ugly. I'm so disgusting. I'm fighting myself. I'm avoiding my body looking in the mirror or I'm avoiding myself. I'm not journaling. I'm not taking care of my body. I'm not going to therapy for myself. I'm not getting a coach for myself. Um, I might be um, collapsed, like who cares, who would love me anyway, right? I can go into all these different states, which, you know, I'm not going to go into a ton here, but that's enough for you to see that this is all survival behavior and there is nothing to be ashamed of. And when we talk about communication, most of our natural communication that's happening after a betrayal, much of it is coming from the vortex. It's a deep, desperate need and desire. And I don't say that in a bad way. I did this for, for years and years and years, not a bad thing, but it's this really deep need for security, for transparency, for honesty, for integrity, for empathy with a bonded partner. We want that in our bonded partners and that's okay. That's good. That's what we're supposed to want. And we're continually going, finding ways to survive this difficult situation, including reattaching and reattaching to the partner in different ways to get this healthy attachment. Um, even if there's not a healthy person to be attached to, right? And I don't mean to say you might be like, well, I do have like maybe this particular personality disorder, or I do have an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style. Right. You may. And you're also navigating betrayal at the same time. And so this is still at play in addition to your childhood events um, and your childhood triggers and traumas that have led you to how your inner survivor functions, right? And so again, it's going to it's going to get us in trouble at times. It's going to get us in trouble at times. But you know, I just realized I should do. 
There we go. Okay. And, and it is natural and normal. The good news is in addition to your inner survivor, this part of you that's keeping you alive, that sometimes makes decisions that make more sense to someone who was fighting a lion than someone who is navigating betrayal in 2023, is that you also have an inner sage. And of course I'm using these images, but for you, your inner sage may look nothing like a girl, you know, at Zen or whatever with flowers. That was just a picture. Um, and I invite you to think about what your inner sage is like. And my whole program, my coaching program helps you connect with this part of yourself. But we all have a part of ourself that it has this capacity for wisdom, for um, for intuiting truth. So being able to sense truth when truth is present and deception when deception is present. Um, and, and this isn't just like woo-woo, right? There's science that backs pretty much all this. I mean, I'm using these creative terms, but ultimately this is all backed in, in science. So we have these parts of ourselves, the inner self, the inner wisdom, your intuition, your gut, whatever you want to call it, that has this capacity for clarity. And it's really when that prefrontal comes back online and when our ventral vagal nervous system is regulated. Now, the reality is we're not going to be in flow, ventral vagal connectedness every minute of every day. That's not a normal human experience. A normal human experience is when your inner survivor and our inner sage are working together to navigate life. So the goal isn't to be Zen and like, um, all the time. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, we have gratitude for, for the cultures that have led us to that information and knowledge, but that is not where we are all the time. As human beings, we are going to navigate triggers where we get spiked up into our inner survivor and we're going to be able to learn how to regulate and get into our inner stage to make those hard decisions and to, and to communicate the way we want to. So this is like literally one slide that's like three weeks of work in my program. But the answer to like, well, how do I get access to that inner stage? How will I know what to communicate? Because I'm going to tell you how to say the words, right? What are the words to say? But a lot of times we actually are tripped up in like, what do I even want? What do I want to say? What do I want to communicate? And so if you're unsure because, you know, it seems like, oh, my inner survivor has just been running, like running the, the show all the time. I don't even, I don't actually know what I want. I don't actually know what a wise choice would be in this situation when my husband or my boyfriend set or girlfriend or whoever says this thing. I don't even know how to respond. I don't, because I don't even know what I want. Right. And if that's you, that's Okay. And the very simplest answer is to use reclaiming tools daily and in the moment. And reclaiming tools, by the way, are a lot of things you already know. And there's some things that therapists and coaches teach all the time. And then there's some things that are just going to be special and for you. So reclaiming tools are tools that help us basically reclaim the steering wheel. If our inner survivor has got the steering wheel, or in other words, if you know nervous system stuff, you're in your ventral, you're in your um, somatic, <laughs> sympathetic nervous system, or you're down in dorsal vagal, and the inner survivor has taken the wheel. In order for us to reclaim the wheel from a regulated space, we're going to use these reclaiming tools. And I don't call them regulating tools because so often, I mean, we can we can kind of use that interchangeably, but so often people think that oh, I have to be regulated all the time. No, no, no. Your inner survivor is going to come in. Your inner survivor is going to come in. 
when you're in the middle of a conversation, you're going to get triggered. That's the phrase we use. When we say I'm triggered, what we mean is my inner survivor is taken over. Um, that's normal, but we can reclaim space inside of ourselves um, and not do so in a way that's like mean. We don't want to be like, give me the steering wheel, inner survivor, you suck. You're making my life miserable. I hate this part of myself, right? That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is, hey, I see you. You're telling me that I'm not safe. You're telling me that I don't feel okay. You're telling me that I feel worthless. You're telling me that I feel unimportant, whatever that is. Um, And I have got to be able to make some choices that are going to help me to safety and to help me to thrive and joy and confidence and peace and connectedness and all those things that I really, really want in my life. And so we're going to do those daily and we're going to do those in the moment. And those really sound like just briefly, those sound like yoga, meditation, journaling, um, going for a walk, going for a bike ride, getting morning sun, right? There's so many different things. And then for you, there might be playing with your dog. There might be watercoloring. There might be watching the birds out your front window, right? There's, there, there's going to be things that are for you that aren't for anyone else. There might be walking to a specific stone that's in your backyard that you just sit on and listen to the breeze, right? It might be scripture reading or prayer. It's And somebody else be like, no, that's not for me. So your reclaiming tools are going to look a little bit different than everyone else. And there are some that kind of generally help and support. Taking big belly breaths puts pressure on the vagus nerve, helps regulate our nervous system, right? Things like that. So we're going to need to use those reclaiming tools. Now, this is all just getting us to the point where I can talk about communication. I'm going to talk about some examples. I'm going to tell you what might you do, why might you do them and how you might communicate in a different way. But if you aren't able to regulate yourself at all, if you aren't able to reclaim a little bit of prefrontal in those moments, you're probably going to not do that. You're probably going to slip back into old, old habits of being in survival all the time, in survival all the time. That's not bad. You're surviving. Surviving's awesome, right? Surviving's incredible. And you're like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I want something more. Okay. So this is where you're going to want to start is learning how to do some of that so that you can pass the torch. Okay. Let me look at the time. So I want to get done with enough time for some questions. So let's remember that energy is greater than words when it comes to communication. And what I mean by that is if you are with I teach this to my kids. You teach this to your kids. I'm sure you have. Um, you know, if if your kids are talking to each other and one of the kids is like, you're my best friend, right? The other kid's going to be like, I hate you and throw his spoon at them or whatever. And you're like, what? He just said he's your best friend. It's because the words, they matter. They certainly matter. And if you're anything like me, your partner has probably said words and you like scrutinize it. Well, what did you mean by attracted? What did you mean by noticed her what did you mean by right so words do matter don't get me wrong but energy is more important than words when we communicate and when we hear someone else's information and that is because our inner survivor is always listening our inner survivor is always aware of the energy for lack of a better word um or the the vibe that that person is giving off is there some aggression behind what they're saying? Is there some annoyance behind what they're saying? Is there some anxiety behind what they're saying? 
Now here's the tricky part. Our inner survivor is actually not that good at determining what that emotion is behind that other person's words. But our inner survivor is good at knowing this doesn't feel safe. So an example in my life is that for many years, I interpreted my husband's anxiety as aggression. Because, and he wasn't behaving aggressively. Let me be clear. I'm not asking you to see a man or a woman standing and screaming at you and for you to be like, oh, they're just anxious. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying my husband was literally shut down. He he had all these anxiety uh, body language And my inner survivor was like, that feels like a threat to me and was interpreting it as like something that was hurting me. And then I would get into my inner survivor and I'd communicate from that space. And that didn't help anything. And you might be be thinking like, well, duh, like I know that. And that's okay. If that's no duh for you, great. I feel like I had to learn everything that's even no duh so that I could teach it to people. But your inner survivor is going to pick up on energy before it picks up on words. Which is why so often your partner might say, no, I didn't do anything. And even if they're a really great liar, you might, not everyone, you might be, your inner survivor might be shut down. Your inner survivor might be numb. So you're like, oh, great. That sounds great to me because I am numb. That is my protective barrier. I'm avoidant. I don't want to know the truth. So if he tells me it's good, even if another part of me, my inner stage is picking up that that's a lie, I'm just going to, I'm just going to accept that, right? Um, But that's why our energy is so much more important than the words we say. Now, I'm going to talk about words and different types of communication and how we can communicate using different types of words, because it does matter. But the energy we bring to a conversation matters more. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of the timeout. If you're a pursuer in your relationship, you might have a little anxious attachment. You probably hate timeouts in conversations with your partner. It might feel like an out. It might feel like they're going to just abandon me. They're going to leave the conversation. If I say, time out, let's come back to this conversation. We will never come back to it. And it can feel very scary and threatening to your inner survivor to push pause on a hard conversation. It might feel like an out. If you're someone who is um, a little more introverted, you might be someone who, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, but for other people, right? It could be attachment style. It could be more of a withdrawal type in a relationship it might be because there's introverted like there's a hundred reasons you might be like yes timeouts but my partner won't let me what do I do so I can talk about that really quick but ultimately timeouts are really really important so that you can at the very least address your inner survivor you may not be able to reclaim your inner energy a hundred percent right if your partner's like oh I just acted out you're going to be dysregulated. You're going to be out of your window of tolerance. You're going to have a lot of big feelings and you still may want to have that conversation. Um, If you can push pause until you're regulated, you're going to have a much more productive conversation. If you don't, again, there's no wrong way to heal. It's going to happen. It's probably happened. Happened to me a million times. Like I said, I'm a fire child. So if it's something to feel guilty about, I've probably done it or embarrassed Um, because I did a lot of things. But um, timeouts are really big. And so if you can say, whoa, I'm really dysregulated. I need, I need pause. Like I'm in my inner survivor. I need a pause timeout, 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 um, and get to another space and do some reclaiming. That means every day you're breathing. And so now when you go to take a big belly breath, your body knows, oh, this is how we calm down and boom, you calm down. Right. Cause you have a habit and your body knows what to do because it's every day and in the moment. Um, your partner, if, so if you're someone who's like, yeah, I ask for timeouts all the time and then they just follow me around. 
Um, as long as they don't become like blocking doorways, domestic violence type stuff, right? Um, you can just say, sorry, I need time and go in the other room and lock the door. You're allowed to do that. This is my permission for you to take that break. If you're trying to make the relationship work, if you're not, you know, do whatever you want. But if you're trying to make the relationship work, just be sure to give them like, Hey, I'll be back in 20 minutes and I'll let you know if I'm ready or not. Um, because if you've got a pursuing partner, that can just be really scary. And so if you're wanting to make the relationship work, that's a tip that you could use. So if you're like, Hey, I need a timeout. I'll be back in 20 minutes. Come back to it. If you're still like, I'm still so dysregulated. I'm just going to yell at you. Or I'm just so shut down. I can't even talk. Say, Hey, another 20 minutes. Um, and that can be, that can be beneficial. Right now, I'm giving you so much information. You might be like, whoa, uh, this is a lot of information. It's okay. You're going to hear it today. You're going to hear it another day. You're going to hear it from another therapist. You're going to hear it from another coach. You might come do my program. We'll walk you step by step very slowly. This is just giving you information to start you out on. So, but just remember that energy is more important than words because your energy influences their inner survivor too. But let's talk about communication. So there's four types of communication and these four types of communication, you've, you may have heard of these. And a lot of times we talk about number one in that green box, the bluish green box as like the gold standard. This is the right way. And especially if we're like in a business setting, we're talking about manners, speaking with strangers, speaking assertively is going to, I mean, really at the end of the day, assertive communication is wise-minded communication. Assertive communication is, um, coming from your inner sage and your inner survivor. And they're both working together to communicate. That's what assertiveness is. Um, and so it is ideal. And there are times where these other forms of communication can be beneficial, right? And we'll talk about that. So a lot of times there's not a lot of nuance <laughs> in the self-help world. It's just like, do it my way. Everything else is bad. And I just want you to know that like, we're human beings, okay? We're gonna talk about things in different ways. We're gonna communicate in different ways. And there's a reason. There's a reason for passive communication. There's a reason for aggressive communication. There's a reason for pass. Like there's all these reasons that they happen. And then we can decide, okay, what do I wanna do with that information rather than like this good, everything else bad. So let's talk about assertive communication first. Assertive communication is wise-minded communication. It comes from the recognition of my inner survivor that I have needs and that I matter and that these, these you know, feelings and thoughts and emotions that I'm having, even the gut ones, the initial ones, they matter and they're important. And from a wise-minded perspective, I can communicate those in a way that is clear and I can sort through all the different reactions and choose a way to respond, right? And then um, also I recognize that you matter just because you're a human being. You might struggle with this. You might struggle with this, especially if you struggle with this, believing it about yourself. If we have a hard time believing I matter, then when someone harms us, it's really hard for us to say that you matter and that you're a human with thoughts and feelings and you matter too. And it's very, and I'm not shaming this. This is not victim shaming. You're a victim. I understand it. But our inner survivor will dehumanize betrayers very easily right um and we'll put slap labels on and just turn them into like the evil evil person and sometimes we need to do that for our survival to get us out and away from that relationship if i see them as a human i might stay attached i might attach too hard and i need to get away and so i'm going to i'm going to kind of make this a very black and white type situation but if you're someone who's trying to make the relationship work or trying to work towards reconciliation your partner is putting in effort um, this is something to something to be aware of and notice if you're doing it and notice why and maybe you're like i do want to 
I do want to not see them as someone who matters for a time. Maybe you're someone who's lived in fawn for a long time where you've just given and given and given and given and given. And now you're in a place where you're just trying to practice boundaries for the first time. And it's really, really hard. And just saying like, I can't care about your feelings for a time that might be intentional, right? You might intentionally do that, but working with your inner sage brings in intentionality versus when we're in survival mode, everything is reactive and we need both, right? So assertive is what I'm communicating. I matter and you matter. So something that that might look like is if my partner discloses a, a, a slip or a relapse or something and my natural, I'm just going to speak honestly with you. My natural inclination is fire child. Like there is very aggressive. I'm not going to be going into assertive by nature, by my inner survivor. Um, that comes from my childhood. That comes from my personality. That comes from a lot of different things. And so um, it's very easy for me to slip into being critical and condescending and aggressive. And so for me, if I'm triggered um, and I want to communicate clearly and that leads to a good outcome, um, I am going to push pause and do a lot of work before I communicate. Otherwise it's going to come out as I matter and you don't matter. And what I found after years of doing that, you know, about a decade ago when I used to do that all the time, what I found is that even though my partner would say all the right things when I was aggressive, nothing actually changed. Because being aggressive, which we'll step into that, I matter, you don't matter, can bully people or scare people into saying what you want them to say, but it doesn't necessarily give you the outcome that you want because aggressiveness does not actually mean boundaries. Now, aggressiveness can be very handy. One time I was minding my own business. I was nine, eight months pregnant, however months pregnant I was, um, walking down a stairwell and a downstairs neighbor, I lived in a not a super sketchy neighborhood, but a downstairs neighbor uh, attacked me in the stairwell and tried to push me down the stairs. And because I have an aggressive nature, I pushed right back. I grabbed onto her hands and I said, if you touch me again, I'll call the police. I called the police, right? I was very aggressive. There was no like, oh, why are you pushing me? Why are you angry at me? She was mad because my dogs, um, anyway, doesn't really matter. But she was mad <laughs> and attacked me in the stairwell. And so aggressiveness can be beneficial when you need it, right? If you were running down the street and a dog attacked you and you're like, oh, I don't want to hurt the dog. No, you need to like kick the dog so it doesn't bite you. Um, on the other hand, passiveness also might be the right thing. You might be running down the street. A dog is chasing you and barking and trying to bite. Maybe jumping into a bush and climbing up a tree and being passive would like, okay, doggy, you matter. You're, you matter. And I'm just going to get away. I'm just going to get up here because kicking you might've made you bite my leg off. Right. <laughs> and there are other times, in fact, another example, when, uh, there's there another example where there's some aggressiveness, aggressive people nearby. And my husband was very passive and I was actually like kind of offended. Like, why didn't you stand up and protect me? And, um, the passivity was in that moment intentional and I think, and I thought back to it and I went, yeah, like the people there were very dangerous. We would have gotten very hurt. It was actually great that we were just very passive. Here's, you know, do the things that we needed to do to get away from that situation. So, that, so these aren't bad ways of communicating, but when we're navigating betrayal, most of the time assertiveness is going to get, we were, get us where we want to go. 
Um, and then there's passive aggressive, which really is when we dig our toes into the ground and we're like, no, I matter. You don't matter. So we're still aggressive, but I'm either not in a place to tell you that or show you that, or I'm too afraid to tell you that or show you that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put barbs and barb and barb, and I'm going to shoot these little barbs out or I'm going to, or there's no point. So a lot of times this will come from a place of collapse or a place, uh, because a lot of times our wind, our, our wind survivors are going to be more passive, passive communicators. Um, our fire survivors are going to be more aggressive communicators. Um, our water survivors are either going to be passive, sometimes assertive, um, but not necessarily always boundaried. Um, cause communication isn't a boundary, right? Communication is like half of a boundary, but passive aggressive, a lot of times are going to be people who are frozen, um, who feel or collapsed. And it's just kind of like, there's no point in communicating with you. Maybe they've been aggressive, like passive aggressive. Maybe you've been aggressive. You've been communi- You've been saying like, this is important. And this is important. And by the way, aggressive also doesn't mean mean. So you can be like me critical and have a sharp tongue and say things that are hurtful, but you might just be aggressive in your body language, in your energy, where you're just sending this energy that I matter and you don't, you're garbage. Um, It's a protector. It's all a protector, right? Um, And passive aggressive, you know, I think of uh, someone who, whose partner wouldn't, um, wouldn't do a particular house chore. And so they not, not as a way of a boundary, but as a way of like, I'm going to get back at you, um, you know, like dumped the trash all over their partner's car or something like, I mean, I guess that's pretty aggressive. I'm trying to think of an example on the spot for passive aggressive. I think, you know, it when you see it, a lot of times it's underhanded. A lot of times it's like barely noticeable, but over time it builds up. Right. You're welcome to give examples in the comments since I'm not coming up with a great one. I think dumping trash in someone's car is pretty aggressive, but maybe you could call it passive aggressive. And so what would this look like in terms of a conversation? So maybe you found something on your partner's phone and you want to bring it up to them. I highly recommend regulating, reclaiming, make sure that you are coming from a wise-minded place, a place of both inner survivor and inner sage, where you're noting like, this doesn't feel safe to me. This doesn't feel okay to me. I don't like this. This doesn't work for me. I don't feel safe and secure in this relationship. Yes. Thank you, inner survivor. We're glad you're here sending that message, right? And what do I want to do with it comes from my inner sage, making that judgment call. What kind of boundary do I want to set? What kind of, so you might say, I found information on your phone that you've been acting out. You lied to me. I, I, I talked about this boundary before that if you lied to me, this would be the consequence. And I want you to know that that's what I'm going to be doing, right? That's assertive. Now they might say, you're being mean to me. You're being aggressive. No, right? You got to know in here. That's assertive. Aggressive would be like, you little POS, you're lying to me and I know it. And and like, you know, you're like this, 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 insult, insult. It could be just like the way you're communicating it is just very like big and loud and, and aggressive. Again, it makes sense. Um, it leads to, you know, becoming someone I don't think you want to be. Um, but it makes sense. And so it's, it's making that, pushing that pause and deciding, is that what I want to do? Even if maybe I think in the moment they deserve it, they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. Um, is that who you want to be? Right. And pushing pause there. We talk about that a lot in my, my courses and in my coaching program and stuff, but, um, and then there might be passive. You might not even address it. You might address it in a very, like, I don't, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but maybe you just bring it up. You're like, I'm going to bring it up and, and then hand all my power to them. Like, 
hey, this is what I found. And then you hand all the power and you just kind of hope that they're going to take accountability, which they never have, right? Um, so it's kind of like, you matter. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want you to feel a certain way. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to control your feelings so that I stay safe. You hear there's the survival mechanism there. Or there might just be like, so how was this person, you know, putting in these like little words, little comments that reference it, um, but not actually addressing it. Uh, and just kind of being mean and and eye rolls and sighs and that sort of thing. So these are these different types of communication. I'd be happy to like, let's see what time I've got. Yeah, I'd be happy to walk through some examples if you have questions about examples for those that are hanging out live um, or unrelated to these questions for sure. But just remember that really when it comes down to it, the words, right? You wanna, when you're assertive, I guess I should get into the words a little bit more you know, when you're having a sort of communication, you're speaking with from the I and the me, right? It's like, I feel this way, you know, and um, a boundary, the, the way that we recommend speaking boundaries. I, if this happens, then this is what I'm going to do. It's all really about being clear, about being concise um, and just sharing what's going on inside of you in the clearest way possible. Aggression is very often telling the other person how they feel, telling the other person what they think, telling the other person like, you're this way, you think this, you, um, you know, you, 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 you. Um, passive very often is also about the other person, but kind of in this backed down way. And passive aggressive, it's just different depending. Usually there's not a lot of communication, but there can't be. This will be saved also in the group. So if you guys want to find this later, I'll put it in the guides and you guys can watch it there. It'll also be live on the YouTube channel and podcast called Navigating Betrayal uh, when I get around to it. The one from before, the one with Dr. Debbie C Sieber is up. Um, it just loaded today. So hopefully you guys got uh, access to the podcast and uh, the YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with me a little bit long. I'll see you guys uh, next month. Bye.